Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Hi, I'm Clotho, and you can find me at Clotho Spindle on Twitter, and today I'm joined with Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky. I am at the Chikrin on Twitter. And Guile. Hey, this is Guile, and I tweet at Door Podcast. We're going to be discussing Davos's third chapter in A Clash of Kings. Trigger warning for all uh, the usual discussions of violence. Um, and, and people burning alive. Yeah, yeah, burning. yeah, lots of wildfire and things like that. The Black Betha is riding on the flood tide into the Blackwater Bay with Wraith and Lady Maria beside her. And they were in second line of battle. Davos can make out the Fury well to the southeast of them. And Stannis Baratheon is riding with his army and he's trusting the command of the fleet to his wife's brother, Sir Imri Florent. Davos knows, like, knew the, he knows all of these ships really well, and he feels like I know them as well as my own. So he's kind of like, like this is this problems. is any this is any professional expert in their field. He's just like sitting there making these observations <laughs> about the ships and the captains, and you know who's good for what. And like, of course, like anyone thinking through how like clearly inept his commander is in this situation. Yeah. Well, we have a good, actually, we have a good question from Cardinal Girl 75 kind of on this topic, if we want to get into that. Sure. Um, they say, I get why Sir Imre Florent and the other lordly captains would scorn Davos's suggestions and ideas, but why would Stannis not think, you know, he could use more than just him as a member of the fleet? You know, he wasn't shy about using him to um, help the underhanded tactic of smuggling Melisandre in the Storm's End but doesn't stop to think that Davos probably has the best knowledge of King's Landing. Not to mention that Davos would, wouldn't think like his highborn admirals and captains who wouldn't notice the things about the city that, that he would. And yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting thing. Like, you know, we see, we see all of Davos's observations and, you know, it doesn't seem like the other people, like Imri Florent does, but, you know, to like maybe further their point here, Davos, like, you know, he kind of always kind of puts Davos in that, smuggler or like that lesser role like he sends him to white harbor instead of taking him or giving him some kind of command at the wall too and it's like you know i see as this chapter goes on it's not like you know davos's observations and thoughts are very it's not like they're like smuggler based they're just like conventional military wisdom it kind of seems like so it seems to me like stannis has like decided that davos is like the smuggler guy and not like the military commander guy well, so it's like a class thing, like he can't look past Maybe. That. Yeah. But I think part of it, too, might be that Davos himself questions his own read on the situation because he admits that he thinks like a, sl- a smuggler. I think at one point he's like, oh. you know, as a smuggler, my reaction to some of these situations would be to turn and run. I wouldn't get into these fights. And so I think he I think you see him in this chapter question his own read on it because he's like, well, I'm not a, I'm not an admiral. I don't think in this way. So maybe I don't know. You know, it turns out, of course, yes, he does know, and he would be much better at this. But um, you know, I think I think he questions himself. But then again, as we see with leadership throughout the series, and maybe everywhere in life, it's the people who are able to question their own knowledge and who who don't trust themselves 
to have the correct read on every situation and who can take in other points of view tend to be the best people to make these decisions. But, you know, like so often, especially in a fucking stupid feudal system, you know, it's just it's just privilege is what what puts you in the position to make these decisions and not necessarily competence. Yeah. Or I mean, you know, or confidence, I guess, like that, too. Emory Florent doesn't seem to lack that. He has the the confidence of every mediocre, mediocre white, mediocre white man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh! Yeah, this whole chapter is like a sl- literally slow motion ship's wrecking. <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. It is like a slow mo train wreck. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's like a literal description. <laughs> well, and George is so good at this at building in the the warning signs and the little things that are making go, oh no, oh no, oh no, this is going to be bad. He is, it is. And it does get, you know, you get that scary kind of like, as he says, like he's out by prickling of my fingers that aren't there. Like you're totally feeling it. You feel like, oh yeah. <laughs> um, So as the war horn sounded, um, Davos called for them to form a line in slow cruise. We get a lot of these like directions and like they're, you know, speeding up and slowing down. And um, he's thinking back to during the war, which is exactly what we're talking about, during the war council, um, they get into that his son Allard had declared, you know, oh, we're in a place of honor and they're proud of it. And he's, you know, he pretty much pointed out, no, it's a place of peril, um, second in the line. And, you know, he caught, you know, this, like you were saying, he caught the looks and he thinks, you know, I'm a, that, that his son, like he even feels that they're looking at him and like, well, you know, he's a smuggler at heart and, and they smell danger, you know, when they smell danger, exactly what you said, they run. So, he suggests that they send a few swish, swift ships, you know, up the, to probe the river beforehand. And, you know, it's like Sir Emery thanked him, then immediately dismisses the idea. So it's like he basically didn't see any need for they're, they're basing it on the fact that they have four times as many ships, um, which, you know, you can feel where this is going as you're reading this. That Like, it's it's kind of like, yes, it makes sense, but it just feels like so like one of those things like you always should have a contingency and not just the two ships that they were like okay we're gonna leave these two ships at the mouth of the bay yeah well and it reminds me of what my grandpa always described as his um experience um in the army which is that (laughs) you know the guys on the ground quite often have a much better read of the situation than the people giving commands and they can see the mistakes happening but they've just been trained to follow orders no matter what such a so this is going to mark me as like a nerd for our, because, you know, I was thinking about this chapter and how it's basically like a military chapter and how yeah. like, I don't really feel like any of us are particularly <laughs> capable or enthusiastic. About this. No, neither. Uh, um, I <laughs> often, maybe once every other year or so around June, I like to reread at least the starting sections of Stephen Ambrose's D-Day book. And a lot of it is about like, the tactical and strategic planning for D-Day. And it was just like, there's a lot of it from like Eisenhower on down, how they basically were like, okay, here's like the overall objective. Now we're going to give each section your objective. You guys figure it out. And then it oh. went down and down and down. So it's almost like the opposite of what, you know, maybe in this, oh. like the ideal thing, like the opposite almost of what your grandfather's saying, like at least from like a planning perspective, they talked about how, like, you know, Eisenhower, you know, he he would talk about how, like, you know, I desperately wanted to, like, reach down and, like, help solve the problem, but that's not my job. My job is to define the objective. And, mm. you know, the people who are doing the work 
have to be the ones that figure out how they're going to do it. We have to tell them what we want them to do. So it's, I mean, it's like, it's very, like my dad was like into military history. So it's interesting for me from that perspective, but it's also like really interesting from like a leadership perspective about like, yeah, yeah like that's actually probably what you should, you know, what your job should be is like telling people the goal and, you know, trust that they can figure out how to do it. Um, you know, is again, is that what happens in the real world all the time? Absolutely not. But yeah, um, you know, ins- inspirational at least. And, you know, I mean, you think of like the difference between a soldier and Davos, who's essentially been like a free agent of a lot of his life. Mm. And he probably is much more comfortable making, um, you know, making those decisions on his own based upon what he sees in front of him. Right. And well, and others to make that decision too. Well, and the other thing that happens when, you know, a battle commander looks at a big battle coming up is that, uh, they sacrifice people, you know, (laughs) they know they're sending people to certain death. Whereas Davos, like, as you said, as a free agent has always been most concerned about keeping people alive (laughs) as, as the primary objective of any, any interactions that they would have, you know, that might, might turn to battle or any sort of, you know, military interaction. So, yeah, I mean, there's different objective thing, obviously. Um, I, I just had this observation in my brain, like, I'm sure. So Davos is the Han Solo of, of a song of ice and fire, right? Like <laughs> that fits, you know. <laughs> he, never, he never bails. He's always no. loyal. Right. Always <laughs> That's true. He's really, but I always think I think of Salador San and I have forever as um uh Lando Calrissian. <laughs> like he's clearly Lando Calrissian. Oh, I get that. Oh anyway, sorry. So, but what that's think, okay. that's cool. It is cool here, though. I mean, sad cool is, you know, Davos has so much pride in the way that, you know, two of his sons are yeah. captains of yeah. ships. I think side of it or beside him. And he's he's very proud of the way that they're holding, you know, the line together and they're they're sailing together and they're they're doing their part. And it's just like oh, that definitely adds a layer to it. Oh, you know, God. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, like you know, this lady Maria—that's his wife's name. They've named a ship after his. You know, I mean, this is this is very much a family endeavor for him too. And, and they're sailors, you know. They're not just like soldiers on a ship. Like they're sailors, so there's yeah. that pride and in, in their ships and stuff too. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. Not that anything bad's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So basically, the plan was the big oh, big picture was. They basically were going to destroy Joffrey's small fleet with the first two groups and then land the following ship. You know, it sounds so easy. Land the following ships with a company of archers and spearmen, like, right beneath the city walls. Um, sort of along, along the way, as they're going down, they're saying it took longer and there were some issues with weather and the choppy waves and yada yada. So I think he felt like it was kind of because of those things, it was probably more, you know, rushed than it should have been to immediately get in there. And... Um, you know, he did, they, at one point they run across like these, they caught these fishermen and they were like, he was more interested in what they had to say about what was going on. And they did find out that, which seems like, oh my God, they got this information, but um, Tyrion was building some sort of boom to close off the mouth of the river. So I guess they weren't sure whether it was finished or not. And Davis at his head is like, oh, you know, I wish it was finished because he thought, okay, you're making a boom. You're putting the boom up before so no one can get in. So he was hoping hoping it was forced them to take a pause. So, which, that, you know, makes sense. You know, if you weren't 
supposed to know that that was there, that that would be what it would use for. So, you know. Well, and this, it's funny how the, the only intelligence they seem to have is almost accidental that they caught these fishermen. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, like, you know, come on. Or, what, like, do, do we have why, no yeah, intelligence? That's a really good point. Why wouldn't they have sent some spies in the king's, you know, why would they have sent spies Yeah, because as he's going down. Davos even thinks, I know this like the back of my hand. And how many other people would also know that, you know, that constantly in that area would know that something was off or those towers were being built, you know, before it's too late. Stannis, Stannis is there. He's like across the mouth of the river from King's Landing or his men are anyway. It's like they could see like these towers that have been built and stuff. I mean, it's like, why would they not have gotten this word? to? Uh, uh, it's just, you know, it's just a failure on so many levels. You can't even... It might be a failure on on George's level too. There are some things in here that are just like really strained credulity a bit. Like th- uh, there's a point where he says, and like I, this is just so insane. I can't even. I can hardly even talk about it. He says that that Stannis has twenty thousand mounted soldiers, mostly knights. It sounds like, and I'm like twenty thousand horses. Because he's saying that. I mean, like, to feed even a thousand horses yeah. on a march is, it, it, in a medieval world, is hard to fathom. I think, you know, just the logistics of some of these things just completely fail him. I'm just like, this is a man who's never been on a trip with even one horse. <laughs> and that's why it's like, sometimes I feel like I glaze over during these things, because to me, it feels like there is a certain aspect of you're filling things in and hoping that people are just so overwhelmed by details that you don't well, right. like literally or, think of how this would work yeah so just do the shorthand which is you uh, know what do we really need to know we need to know okay davis you know davis and the fleet greatly outnumber the lannister fleet and stannis has a shit ton of uh, you know a huge army like that's all we got yeah. you know yeah. like he's probably should win i feel like is kind of like what we <laughs> actually need to know yeah. <laughs> or it could be like a crazy rumor someone hears, you know, like 20,000 mounted men. How's that possible? You know, I mean, yeah. like, okay. <laughs> but like, you know, I mean, th- I've had this issue with, you know, I think he tries to get around it with the Dothraki where it's like, oh, they're in these open plains all the time and they're just, you know, but it's just like, you just, you don't oh, understand. Like the horses are just eating livestock. Like, yeah. You, yeah, to, yeah. Just keep, to just keep a horse fed. Oh, God. It takes a lot of water. Yeah. Oh my I mean, God. You, you've got to have a lot of food to keep a horse fed. I don't know what else to say about that. And you have to haul that food with you because you can't just count on finding... I mean, with one horse, sure, you can count on being able to just feed them on grass in, like, you know, a, a late summer, early early autumn situation. But it's just, like, this is just mind-bogglingly stupid and impossible. I, I can't fathom that there was ever in a world like this 20,000 uh, mounted men anywhere. The logistics of that are, are insane. Gosh. You know we're going to get someone messaging us about, you know, some oh, battle I'm in, like, <laughs> you know, something else. I mean, okay. We welcome your comments. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's like, bring it on. <laughs> so, <laughs> the Lannisters had the current in their favor. Um, and Davos is thinking, like, we're fools to meet them on the Blackwater. Like, it's just, there's, there's, <laughs> oh, God. Beyond the line of warships, Davos could see the Red Keep on Aegon's Hill. He closed his stubby hands around his pouch and held his finger bones and mouthed a silent prayer for luck. Sir Imri sounded the attack, and Davos shouted, Fast cruise! Um, at this point, he doesn't see any sign of the boom, but he notices what we were talking about, the two towers that look like they were made of raw new stone. And 
suddenly he notices the flash in the water at the base of the tower, um, you know, steel. And he says, okay, this is a chain boom. And, you know, he's wondering why they hadn't closed the river earlier to them, which would seem to be the first obvious point of the boom. Um, the first line was in, and then he thought, like, well, maybe they mean to, like, lift it and cut us in half. You know, he tastes a trap, but he doesn't see any foes behind them, and he's wondering, like, you know, what's the whole point of this? Like, okay, so they cut them in two, but who's, you know, going to take care of the people at the tail end? Um, suddenly, there's pots of burning pitch arching through the sky and spreading flame, and they hit a few decks, and there's some, you know, already some people are, like, you know, getting a little fire and little bits, but it's starting. The battle is starting to begin. Um, okay, can I just? I mean, like you know, we're the last. Like, like we said in our last episode, we are the furthest things from Tyrion fans. But Tyrion plays this so well, where he he kind of mounts a real looking defense yeah. here, where they start out just you know flinging the regular like tar or oil or whatever it is, and like you know like the, they send out their ships like. He makes it look like this is a real defense to just kind of keep them lulled and keep them all of Stannis' ships moving into the mouth of the yeah. river. It's it's yeah. pretty like, smart the way that he handles it. Because I had forgot yeah. about that. That I was like, why the hell are there regular pitch things? You know, I was thinking that yeah. to myself. Like, so why did they start with the wildfire? The, the minute the minute that the minute that Davos describes the you know like all of the pitch being launched, you know, and him seeing like I think what did he call them? Birds, orange birds. Yes. Or yeah. Yep. And the minute that he describes that, I'm like, oh, this is the wildfire. And then I'm like, oh, why is it orange? And then it's like, oh, no, it's because Tyrion is smart enough to know you've got to start conventional and not let them know everything that you've got waiting. You've got to lull them into thinking they're okay to keep attacking and move all the way in. It's it's smart. I mean, you know, Tyrion is an asset and Cersei's an idiot not to realize that yeah. because this is why you need him. Yeah. Um, and Davos is now thinking to himself, probably glad that um, we get into like thinking about Melisandre. And uh, apparently, you know, it was kind of one of those things where one of his men kind of put this, like, thing in his ear, like, you know, oh, well, if you bring her, they're going to think, which, I mean, it makes sense. The, the rumors are going to go around, they're going to think that the spells had won the battle for him and, you know, trying to get him not to bring her. And so she's been left behind, and um, Davos is glad of that. Well, and it was um, Bryce Karen who, you know, whenever there's a Karen, you get, like, the... <laughs> You know, the Brienne <laughs> alert, because that was like her, would have been her husband. Brother in law? Brother, would have been her brother in law. Her brother in law, yeah. 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 So it's kind of nice that he comes off like kind of crafty. Like, good, good for you, <laughs> Bryce Karen. Um, the ship's devotion and prayer um, had landed already, and they were fighting. People were starting to fight on the shore. Um, Davos recognizes the dog's head helm of the house. Wasn't helm. that cool? Like, I was like, holy <laughs> shit, that's so like cool to like picture. Yeah. Like, he's so yeah. close, he can see the hound yeah. like, fighting. Yeah. Like, it was I awesome. Was... Like, damn, that's cool. Because <laughs> he's, like, basically, like, what we were talking about earlier with, like, this these huge swords, like, um, he's, like, he's hacking down anyone who's around. He's, like, okay, this dude is, like, just taking people out left and right. Um, And the battle is, like, it's full now. It's full on. There's arrows flying, ships colliding, you know, dead floating in the river and like, it's just a complete, it's just chaos. (laughs) Did you get to the part where, where Davis notices that like, he wonder, like he notices that like the lavender, the lavenders, the (laughs) the Lannisters, like best ships are missing. 
No, you know what? And yeah. I don't have yes. that's good for you pointing that out because I don't think yeah. I have that in my um because they're so so dense. But yeah, yeah, okay, that's good. And yeah. it reminded me of Cat at the Red Wedding when she was like, Oh God, you know, yeah. She notices because like, there's a little clues here, there, yes. and it's like you know very much like the clue that shit's going down and like it's just another thing that you know davos notices like like he knows it so well i mean i'm sure if you ask emory florent he wouldn't have a freaking clue what the lannister yeah. or what the you know the lannister slash baratheon's biggest ships were no it's, just, it's so crazy too because it's not like they have any easy way to communicate like if somebody at the back of the line like you know 10 ships down saw something off like they can't it's yeah you can't really even yell word and like in this kind of mess and if they would gosh. listen if you yeah, could yeah, true. <laughs> yeah even if you could get through gosh um so the he's starting to hear the pleas of drowning mano echoing in his ears um and this is where we get into like he sees a flash of green and and even here, like I forgot that this does also take a little bit of a build up. Like he hears that they're starting. Yeah. Um, there's the dreaded cry wildfire. So he's grimacing, and he's thinking to himself, like, okay, well, there's not a lot of people around who make this anymore. So this is kind of like, oh, he's like they're just throwing their last few they had, yeah. like hanging around. Like, and, well, they'd had. Like, oh, it looked like but, it looked like they'd had a discussion about it in the battle planning, you know talks or whatever that they'd had they'd had a discussion about it. well there will be some wildfire but there's not much so yeah it's like not <sighs> nothing he's like um, but he does you know and he kind of comments in his head this whole thing that, that you would expect burning pitch but wildfire is like evil stuff it's like unquenchable yeah. so to use that is like you know it sounds like using what like um you know biological weapons or something just yeah. extra next level like you just don't do it well you know, we actually of. had um green mountain woman on the subreddit subreddit you know specifically says do you think Tyrion's use of wildflower wildfire is a war crime oh yeah but see i it sounds like it would qualify right i mean the same way that the same way that danny's use of dragons is a war crime yeah Yeah, probably i mean by by modern standards probably i mean because he's also trapping people in like you add those two things it was not like a you know, and I killing his own men, like yeah, oh men yeah, he sends, he sends sends their own ships out to die. Well, and you know, this is kind of the. I think there's an element here of the fact that this is a civil war, and sometimes um, people are maybe more likely to pull their punches with their own countrymen. Not always, though. Um, you know, but also like sometimes vicious. Civil wars can be more vicious, as at least was the case in the U.S. We we were more vicious in our civil war than in almost any other war, other than you know the ones in which we used nuclear weapons. Um, you know, like I, you know, th- there's something weird that happens sometimes with a civil war, and and sometimes you lose your humanity. And I guess this is a really good example of that. But yeah, I think it would well, be a warm crime in a modern text. Yeah. Context. And I think in this particular one, I mean, honestly, Stannis's devotion to the Red Woman, it's not just like for the small folk, it's not necessarily a case where they can just be like, well, it doesn't really matter. You know, if their ability to worship as they choose is impacted here, like that's their freedom. So it yeah. isn't just, you know, like, oh, the rich lords doing their thing. Like, if you know, yeah. if it's going to be Who's King Stannis that? and he's going to like be burning you if you don't take different gods like you know that adds a different stake exactly and with with the with the relore religion um stannis has returned to something that has kind of been eradicated in westeros which is 
human sacrifice. They're two major religions. They don't do that anymore. That was very much a part of the old God religion, but they, they kind of eliminated yeah. it. It seems like in, in whatever pact, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they, that kind of the peace between, you know, the, the, the new faith and, yeah. and the old gods religions, they kind of all agreed, okay, we're not going to sacrifice people anymore. And Stannis has now revived that with, with the coming of R'hllor. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's a question, we have a question um, from the discord from um, Carnal Girl 75 that says, you know, do you think the battle would have gone differently if Melisandre had been there? Um, you know, mate, I mean, would, would, like, if you're, if you are, a, you know, if you're a random King's Landing person number five and you see that red witch, like, that, you know, it might scare me, but it also maybe makes you fight, you know, fight harder. Plus, I mean, to be honest, I think that if Melisandre wanted to be there, she would have been there. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering, too. Like, it almost seems like it would have to be intentional, especially with her powers or... Didn't she foresee this? I think she foresaw this, didn't she? Didn't she know she foresaw it, though? So maybe maybe she was like, okay, I'm not going (laughs) to... It is is interesting, though. It is interesting for all that we talk about Stannis being a strong personality, how he can be manipulated in these ways, like manipulated into, in the right circumstance, be manipulated into, you know, setting Melisandre aside, as he did here. Yeah, and that's true, yeah. Of I mean, course, the ways in which she has manipulated him, and even Davos kind of manipulates him sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know if it goes. I mean, it's not. You know, we. I don't think it goes any differently if she if she's there. I don't think she has the power to like. It might though, because she does have. But she has she has power over fire. I mean, we've seen that she does have the ability to control fire. So maybe she maybe she would have had. Maybe she could have helped a little. I don't know. It may not yeah. have been enough. Yeah, that is interesting to think about, though. Gosh, yeah, Melisandre with wildfire. Gosh, um, <laughs> um, the whole of Stannis's fleet um, was in the river at this point, and uh, he, you know he's thinking to himself soon enough they're going to control the Blackwater because I think, and this is still just before that, like right before the tipping point, it almost felt like they still had a chance because I think things were starting to go well in certain areas on the shore, and then this is when Mathos points out that there's the swordfish is heading towards a big, like, hulking Lannister, like a cargo ship, and it's floating low in the water, so it's heavy. It's filled with a lot of stuff, and he's like, why is this going? And then, he's so slow, and then he notices a green leak coming from its boards. Um, He shouts, no, as the swordfish, like, right as it crashed into the ship, and he sees, like, you get this instant where he sees the green gushing from a thousand jars of wildfire that goes right into the river, um, and there's nothing that can be done, but he's shouting back, back, and, you know, but uh, all he hears next moment is, like, a roar, like, that whoosh, and then roar of the deck, and everything vanished beneath him, and the black water smashes into him, and um, that was really well written, by the way, yeah, the yeah, way that yeah, George that was, wrote, that, you know, like, basically, it, it's sound, basically like, an explosion for yeah. someone who probably doesn't have, is not supposed, it would be anachronistic for him to really have the good modern language of explosion yeah. that we have. Yeah. It was a really good way to communicate that. It was really a, a cleverly written it, yeah. little little section. 
And uh, yeah, the whole thing is just like, he is excellent at these, like, I mean, it's so, it's detail heavy, but it, it is, it does put you in there, put you right in that scene. And I mean, uh, detail heavy doesn't begin to touch the <laughs> description level in this chapter. It's wild. Like, I mean, it's like splintering. I mean, there's like ramming and splintering and pe- it's just so like, I mean, it's crazy it's beyond crazier than even like you know what his descriptions of land battles are just so much that that's just so horrendous to think about like it's one thing but to do this at sea and to have this shit going on like while you're floating and then have the water be an extra hazard there i love the part too where george george has davos think about the fact how he's he's just wearing armor that's like very light leather <laughs> that on the other ships some of the other knights including sir emery are wearing uh oh, full plate and he's like yeah no you wouldn't catch me doing that on a ship <laughs> It's just oh, gonna fucking stuff think. like that. Like, wow. Oh, oh, man. Yeah, those people were doomed. They were going right down. Oh, and then the heat, too. That would, like, roast oh, you. Like, oh, my God. Horrific. You want to burn or you want to drown? Like, those are your options oh, here. Well, it doesn't seem like the water necessarily state, you know, it doesn't necessarily yeah. soothe you from wildfire. Yeah, the, well, yeah, the wildfire's yeah. in the top. So it's like, if yeah. you're going under any. And I, you know, I don't have any sense of how deep. You know how, like, the oil, like, some of it stays on the surface? I wonder how yeah. deep of a layer this would be. Can you imagine if, like, no. 10 feet of it are burning? Like, oh, God. Like, oh. And, and it seems like he managed to be in a spot where he's, like, you know, he's still around and he breaks the surface. Uh, but he said the, the ships were gone. Like, all that was yeah. left of that section. Well, it's like, literally, black and he, like he was standing on the deck of the ship, and then the next thing he knows, he's looking at the black yeah. water. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just one to the other. Right. And you know. when he thinks about, like, you know, of course, the first thing he thinks about is the sons. And, you know, there's yeah. nothing he could do, you know, unless they How many of his sons sleep. were there? Is it five? Four. Did he have five? So four of them were there. Jesus. I think he has eight sons, and four of them were at the black water. God. Yeah. Just what a nightmare. Like, God. Right. Um, and he's describing this. I mean, this just sounds absolutely horrific. I don't know logistically if this, you know, mentally, if this is another one of George's exact. Well, it's like 50 feet. He said there's flames 50 feet high, like up on the river. And like, um, basically, like a dozen ships are gone or burning. Um, and he's being swept in, so he must have been like literally it threw him really far. So he's like yeah. swept, swept into the bay at this point. Um, uh, so I guess I'll read this last little bit here. Um, it wouldn't be as bad there. He he ought to be able to make it to shore. He's thinking as he's swept out, and he's like he's a strong swimmer. Salador Sons galleys would be out in the bay as well, and Sir Im- Sir Emery had command um, had commanded them to stand off. And then the current turned him about again, and Davos saw what awaited him downstream, the chain. God save us, they've raised the chain. Where the river broadened out into the Blackwater Bay, the boom stretched taut, a bare two or three feet above the water. Already a dozen galleys had crashed into it, and the current was pushing others against them. And almost all were aflame, and the rest soon would be. Davos could make out the striped hulls of Salador San's ships beyond, um, but he knew he would never reach them. A wall of hot, um, red-hot steel, blazing wood, and swirling green flames stretched before him. The mouth of the Blackwater Rush had turned into the mouth of hell. I mean, maybe that's so, the war crime part of it, honestly, yeah. because, like, the, the you shutting know, them, he, yeah, because, yeah, like, none of these people have a chance to surrender. 
Because the other yeah. people could say, okay, they were directly a threat at that moment in time, directly a threat to the walls. But uh, people would have people would have backed up. You know, you'd retreat. You know, that would be the or natural you, you know, thing. You'd though. surrender. You'd raise yeah, a yeah. white, you know, flag, and like they're not. You know, I don't. know. It's always that. Like, is are there rules in war? Like, isn't war so repulsive that? Like to add rules adds legitimacy to it. I don't, you know, like that's the other side of it. It's like the same thing we talk about with the red wedding. Like, why are these, you know, are there rules, you know, are there really rules to war? Should there be? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it ain't, you know, none of it's good. <laughs> Say that. Oh, poor Davos. Uh, I genuinely can't remember how he gets out of it. So I'm looking forward to the next Well, this is, this is, this, this is, is your Davos, one, Davos, so. Davos death fake, fake out number one right here. <laughs> Yeah, there is a few of them. One of 17. Yeah. I mean, because it's kind of like one of those things, I guess, like, at this point, as long as you know they were, I don't know, still alive at that point. That's wild that he even, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Like, do they ever give us any, I'm trying to think if they gave us stats of how many people survived this, you know? I mean, it it seems like it wouldn't have been maybe many. Oh, my gosh, they must have lost a ton. Yeah, I mean, I think people that, you know, you'd have to get to shore. And all of his son's died right is that yeah accurate? the ones that were there yeah. all the okay. ones that were there yeah. died yeah which is why like remember how melisandra keeps his one son like yes um, oh like, yeah yeah oh, with that's she thinks, yeah so sinister is that stannis stannis's squire or yeah and he makes yeah. him stay at, makes him stay at the wall because like you know she feels like davos has lost enough sons and she she knows like He's loyal. It's like when we start, you know, the, when we start getting more and more into Mel's head and she starts to get, like, suddenly quite sympathetic. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. And it doesn't sound like there would have been any, since all of them were going in, you know, I'm trying to think about it. Like, it wouldn't, it doesn't even matter. Because remember, he was worried that they were second in line. It sounds like right. it didn't even matter if they were a little further back. They sort of all would have got jammed up in that mess. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I think Davos yeah. survived probably because he got blown up yeah. in oh. the up and like up and yeah. back basically yeah, like, yeah. got blown out of the yeah. radius yeah and you know just a matter of you know chance or you know author authorial intent um yeah. <laughs> boy george loves to end a chapter on a death fake out i mean has anyone <laughs> ever counted how many times he's done this <laughs> no but i mean like this he overuses is... it I think this chapter is like two or three chapters from Kat's last chapter, which has, you know, like the Jamie death fake out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it, you know, we just had one. <laughs> and we get this one. We'll keep oh. kicking around, I hope. <laughs> so, did, did we have any other mail? Or? No, that was oh. all of the questions that we had. Any final thoughts on the. It was just, it was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> there was a lot of shit. Uh, I'll just say, <laughs> war is hell and war is stupid and we need to stop doing it. Like that Mother Mary, or Mother Mary, <laughs> the font of mercy, <laughs> of all kind. Um, font I just, of like, I love that visual of him being able to see the hound fighting. Like yeah. that to me is like so cool. <laughs> war sucks and it's horrible but there are some great visuals <laughs> well one other thing I'll say this is why Davos is one of my favorite POVs yeah. Yeah. he's one of my favorites to read yeah. I, I just always like love him a little more every time I read these goddamn chapters yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Um, you can reach us at close the door and at gmail.com on Tumblr at close the door and come here at tumblr.com. Submit questions to the chapter threads on the Jamie Brand subreddit. Um, and thanks. We, we always enjoy those and uh, follow us on Twitter at door podcast. Please like review and subscribe to us on Apple podcast, Podbean, all the places you listen and please support us on Patreon at close the door. Um, Thanks for good discussion and thanks for listening and closing the door. Get out.